Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Established Church. Hopefully you're looking forward to digging back into Romans. We had a week off for Father's Day. We're going to push into Romans 8 again. Hopefully you're getting a lot out of it. Um, as I think about my life, there's one conversation in many ways that I remember, and I think I'm always going to remember. Uh, I remember when I was a teacher, a high school teacher, it was towards the end of term, we were both probably pretty tired, a bit reflective, a bit sort of looking into the meaning of things. And I remember chatting to this lady who I used to teach with, I used to be really good friends with her, haven't seen her for a number of years now. Um, she's probably about five years older than me, so she's a bit more mature, a bit more wiser. She was married, I was single at the time. And we were talking about life. And I remember she said something that's, that was just startling to me at the time. Uh, she said that when you were younger, you were told that life is this amazing journey of beautiful and amazing and wondrous and joyous things. And then when you're an adult, you realise more and more and more that life is not what it has been told us it is. It disappoints us, it lets us down. It's never what we think it is. And at the time, I was like, wow, that's quite bleak. That's quite a dark thing to say, particularly when you're at the end of the term and you're tired and you're probably not really thinking straight. But as I reflected, and particularly in the years since all those, those days since I had that conversation, I actually think she is right. I think many of us would acknowledge the fact that there's something deeply wrong with our world. There's something deeply dissatisfying with our world. No matter how much we pursue certain things and certain ends and certain glories and certain joys and certain wonders, we always find that this world lets us down in profound ways. There's something wrong with this world, with this life, with this existence. And I feel like there's a bunch of ways we try and deal with it in modern society. I have three Ds that I think kind of sum it up, there might be other ones, I'm not really sure. Um, the first, I think, and I think we see this all, all around us in the Shire, by the way, when you walk down and people are walking past with their $3,000 dogs and their um, wonderful little prams and that sort of stuff and their active gear. But the first one is denial. You deny that there's any problem. And then we post on Instagram that I'm living my best life now. And we don't acknowledge the dark things, the things that cause us pain, the things that actually make us feel very dissettled. I think that gives us things that gives us a sense of disquiet. So we deny. That's the first D. The second D is we diagnose. What do I mean by that? Well, we see that in media as well, don't we? Social media, you know, oh, it's because of, of the capitalists that society and life isn't what it should be. It's because of those greedy people who want to impose their worldview on us. Or on the other side, it's those people with the, the leftist agenda who are the ones who are causing the problems and destruction of society. You know, they're the ones who are making things bad. We diagnose the issue. Of course, it doesn't actually take into place or take into, into view the complexity of our world as it is. And the third one, and this reminds me of when I was in my 20s studying kind of literature at Sydney University, the third one is despair. Just give up. You know, we see this in our world, you know, like sad stories and sad songs who talk about the fact that there's no beauty, nothing worthwhile, and everyone's cynical, and every story and every good thing is not worth anything. There's nothing to be trusted. Our leaders let us down. Our systems are broken and corrupt. All we can do is despair. Do any of those responses resonate to you? It's undoubtable that our world is broken in some really key ways. And sometimes we're not even really sure 
about how or why that's the case. One of the things I love though about the Bible is that it has an unflinching, realistic view of our world. It never shies back, it never pretties up reality. Some people think the Bible does that, but if you actually read the scriptures and read the Bible, particularly if you read Romans, what Paul has been talking about all the way through this letter, he has a very realistic view of this world. And as he's talking about this, he actually kind of diagnoses and points us to kind of three proofs or three reasons or three identifiers, identifiers, or we could even call them kind of, he uses the language of groans, three groans that point to the brokenness of this world. Now, we need to take it into context of what he says later in chapter 8, and we will get there eventually. He doesn't just lead us in despair. He builds us up. But he does point us to three undeniable realities, three proofs of why this world is broken. The first one is what I'm just going to call the created order. Creation, in other words. That's the first one, the creation, what we see around us. Look what he says here. I'm going to read from verse 18. It's amazing what he says here. So Paul, building on what he's been saying earlier about in, in chapter 8 about suffering and about how God works through that, in verse 18 he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Look what he says here as we go. I'm going to pick that up in a little while, by the way. In verse 19, again, amazing some of the language he uses here. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Now I'll just stop us. Yeah, let's just look at some of those words, you know, present sufferings. This is Paul talking about creation. I don't think he's talking primarily about humankind here. I think he's talking about the created order. Obviously, we're a part of that. But I don't think he's primarily talking about humankind here. I think he's talking about creation. Present suffering, subjected to frustration, bondage to decay. Now, I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm starting to feel those realities more and more. I think, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I think we can summarize some of these words by his word that he uses again and again in this passage. He's like, you're groaning. One translator says that, we can translate that maybe better as kind of sighing or pain-filled, kind of throbbing or moaning in pain. This is our creation. And so we shouldn't be surprised that to some degree we experience that. Our creation is broken. Now, Paul highlights a whole bunch of other things in here. I actually think he's alluding to another part of the Bible, um, basically the first part of the Bible called Genesis, the first opening few chapters where it talks about how creation was perfect and whole and the word that he uses is good. And yet in verse 3, because of sin, God put a curse on creation just like he did on people. And I think that echoes what he's talking about in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one, the one is God, who subjected it. And that word frustration, again, I think echoes Genesis. Some translators say not frustration but futility, pointlessness, emptiness. Now, he's not saying that creation is bad, he's not saying creation is worthless. He's saying there's a lack to it, there's an emptiness to it, there's a sense in which it doesn't satisfy us in the way that it should. Again, as I was reading on this, and some people have different 
interpretations. But some person who I was uh, listening to as I was trying to explain this passage said basically what Paul is saying is that life kind of stinks. Life is hard. Sometimes we like to pretty this up, don't we? The bondage of decay, the futility and the frustration of our world, we like to pretty it up. I'm reminded, and I only saw this movie maybe three or four years ago, but of the lion, the lion king, yeah, the lion king. And Simba is talking to, I think it's his dad, I can't remember the dad's name, maybe someone can put that in the comments uh, section. He's talking to his dad and they're overlooking all creation. And they're looking, I think it's an antelope, he's being killed by a predator. And Simba's like, oh my goodness, what's happening there? And, and Simba's dad goes, oh, it's all part of the circle of life. You know, yeah, the antelope gets sort of crushed and taken, but eventually that predator will die. And, and his bones and his body will go in to nourish the earth. And then the antelope will feed on, on the nourishment from the earth. And it's like a circle of life. And it's all beautiful and it's wonderful and it makes us all happy. Of course, until you see something that's dead, that's when that fiction is shown for the lie that it is. If you see something that's rotting, something that's in decay, something that's broken, which you all do in different ways and in different forms all the time, that truth hits us in unpleasant ways. It shows us for the lie, for the, for the lie that it is. Our world is in bondage to decay. As I think about our current context, particularly COVID-19, I wonder if God's trying to drive something home, not only to me individually or to us as a church, but to us as a society. I was listening to a podcast by a guy called Mark Sayers, who's basically a smart person who thinks and engages with a lot of other smart people, then he makes things in really presentable ways for people like me to understand. And Mark Sayers was saying that COVID actually is serving the purposes of God. I remember thinking, oh, that's a, that's a big call. But he was saying that prior to 19, and sometimes I'll fantasize um, uh, fantasized about life prior to 2019. I mean, how amazing it was, and we didn't have to worry about wearing masks and stuff. But it's like there was a separation, this is what Mark Sayers is saying, between creation and life. Through technology and through wealth and through our lifestyles, we could almost pretend that we're not actually in touch with the world, with the decaying world around us. And now, what COVID has done is that it has taken away that fallacy. We are very much dependent on and victims in many ways to our world. That's what Mark Sayers is saying. And Mark, if you read and listen to this podcast, he has a bit of a dark sort of conviction about where this is going to go in the future. But it's interesting to think about. Bondage of decay, frustration, futility. I'm sure you've experienced that in one way or another. The second kind of proof that he points to is what we experience in us. So the second proof or the second groan that Paul highlights is in Jesus' followers or Christians. People like you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, you may not be a Christian. You may be just listening to this and just sort of experimenting and dipping your tongue. That's great. I'm sure you're still going to resonate in some things that Paul is talking about here. But he's primarily talking about people who follow Jesus. And we're not immune to it, I think is what Paul is saying. We're not immune to the sufferings and brokenness of this world. Look what he says here in verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, look what he says here, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so it's not just creation which is groaning with this kind of existential cry. It's us. It's us. 
Now, you may be a little bit confused, thinking, hold on a second, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm more than conquering. You know, I have the power of Christ in me, the Spirit indwelling in me. And Paul's not Paul's saying very much that's the case. What does that look like? Well, we groan inwardly. We're not immune to hardship and suffering, and then we feel it. One um, translator who I was reading as, as I was preparing for this talk says, uh, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, because we have the Spirit, we actually groan inwardly. In other words, we feel things more deeply because we're Christians, because we follow Jesus. We feel these things even more. Is that how you're experiencing life at the moment? I think this is what I'm, I'm experiencing to some degree as well. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes through us through wordless groans. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but sometimes we don't even know what to say or how to say it. And yet the Spirit intercedes for us. It's not a very popular or positive picture of people, is it, even Christians? Struggling, suffering, full of anguish, full of you know, strife. Is that your life at the moment? Honestly, you don't have to say anything, you don't have to share, but is that your life now? Is that your life here in October? Is that where we are? October 2021. When you became a Christian, and, and this is speaking about me, maybe you thought that life was going to get a lot easier, and you know, blessings and provision and all these amazing things would happen, and yet maybe it hasn't happened like that at all. Maybe instead life has got harder. Maybe you are groaning inwardly, to use Paul's phrase. And yet rather than that actually meaning something is wrong, I think Paul's saying that's actually meaning something is right. Something is going right. I have a funny relationship when I buy furniture. Um, people joke about this, but it's a stance that I have. I don't like making furniture that's, you know, that I pay for. Like if I go to Ikea, if I go to Freedom Furniture or whatever, it annoys me that I have to pay for the furniture then I have to build the flipping furniture afterwards. It's one of my bugbears, but I still do it because it's a lot cheaper to do so, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, but the reality is if you're building the furniture, in the back of your mind, you go, oh my goodness, am I getting this wrong? Am I somehow messing it up, you know? And if you're building a chair and you do the wrong thing, you're not, you're not gonna have a good time. If you're getting it wrong, if you're messing it up. I wonder if that's how you're feeling about Christian faith. But somehow you're getting it wrong. Life is harder than you think it should look. Life is more difficult. Life has more of the groaning than it does the celebration and the triumphantism that I thought it might have. Is that describing your life? I think Paul here is saying that this is the description of every Christian. Even the best Christians, I think, according to Paul, have some degree, to some degree, struggle with fear and anxiety and hardness of heart being thrown in with them. Even the best churches experience issues and egos and fights and division. Even the best of us get sick and discouraged. We get old and die. If you're feeling that, particularly in this season of life, I don't think it means something is wrong. I actually think it means something is right. Do you need to hear that now? I think I do. That's the second proof I think Paul is talking about. And the third one, 
is something that Paul's been building all the way through chapter 3, is the way the Spirit testifies to this reality, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so just to recap what we've been talking about, we can see the brokenness of society and the world, rather, in the created order. We can see it in us if we follow Jesus, but thirdly, through the Spirit, through the way the Spirit works in us. Verse 26. In the same, and I read this a little bit earlier, but let me just recap. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not, not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. None of this suffering, none of this groaning, none of this hardship is a, is a surprise to God or the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit's interceding for us with what? Wordless groans. The same language that He's been talking about our experience on this world, in this life. And he, as he goes on in verse 27, and he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit is the same through God's people, in accordance with the will of God. There's a validation there, isn't there? I don't know if you've been praying and giving your heart to God and you feel like you're just talking gibberish. God can't make sense of this. You know, I'm not using the high, convoluted words that I've heard people use at church or online or online sermons. I don't even know what I'm saying. Sometimes I don't even think like I'm using words. The Spirit's interceding for you. The Spirit's speaking on your behalf. That word interceding literally means he's acting almost like a translator between you and God. Do you need to hear that this morning or this afternoon? The Spirit's interceding for you, articulating things that even you don't know how to articulate even at your best. Of course, the Spirit doesn't just do that. The Spirit also points to kind of the ultimate hope by which we can understand this chunk of Romans. I'm going to take us back to a verse that Lee covered a little bit earlier, verse 11. This is the work of the Spirit. We spoke about the brokenness of the world and how the Spirit actually acknowledges that. The Spirit also has a recreating picture. Verse 11, this is what it says. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Raising us from the dead, pointing us to a life even beyond the worst that this life can bring and give. I think that's kind of echoing what we've been talking about all along in verse 19. The creation waits in expectation for the children of God to be revealed. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen in the next stage, isn't it? It's going to happen... Um, when, when Jesus is revealed, when he calls his children home, verse 21, um, we're going to be liberated along with this creation from the bondage of decay and brought into this freedom and glory of the children of God, freedom and glory of the children of God. He's ultimately talking about the same thing, the redemption of all things, the hope beyond this life, in spite of his burdens, in spite of its suffering, in spite of its groaning. Isaiah and other prophets in the Old Testament love to talk about this. I'm going to throw some random passages from Isaiah which talk about the same reality. It says this, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom and bloom. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will be down, lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion will be yielding together. It's a beautiful picture of peace and harmony and lack of death and lack of decay. I need to hear that there's a hope beyond this life. I need that 
assurance. And I think this is exactly what Paul is driving at in this whole passage. What's our hope in our present suffering? Well, we're not well comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us in the next life. Take our life, our eyes off this life and the struggles and the suffering here and focus on the next. I was reminded of this just this week and I'll finish with this. Um, I already watched the Lord of the Rings movies. It took like 10 hours. Um, I loved it. It was great. I saw things that I hadn't noticed before. I, was, I just really liked the Lord of the Rings. I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, but even better, read the books. Go and read the books. Because sometimes um, it's not as well, as good a job as Peter Jackson did. I think he skimmed over some bits and pieces. And there's this lovely phrase that happens right at the end of the last book of Lord of the Rings. Basically, there's this character that sort of disappears and comes back and then Gandalf. And then there's another character called Sam. And he sort of, and they have this reunion. And then look what it says at the end here. They come together even though they've been apart for so long, it's a joyous occasion. He says this, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. Then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Gandalf answers, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The hardships of lockdown, the hardships of COVID, the anxiety of what life is going to look like months or weeks or, or years from now. Uncertainty around employment, uncertainty around money, uncertainty around relationships. Is everything sad going to come untrue? In Christ, we have to say yes. I'll just finish with Paul's words. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me pray as I finish up. Uh, Lord, thank you. Um, yeah, in this, in this world of, of bondage, of decay, of futility, of frustration, of anxiety, of suffering, this world where we all know, even in the joys and the, and the, and the beauties, that there's something deeply wrong, something deeply flawed. Thank you that we have a joy and a hope that goes beyond this life. Thank you that you've given, this glory, given us this glorious picture of redemption, redemption of all creation, redemption of ourselves. And thank you that we can praise and worship the one who made it all possible and we lift up his name right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.